0: What I see for us here in the US and actually everywhere is I think we'll go into a hyperinflationary depression. And I think we are precariously close and what we're experiencing between the, the issues that are happening around the banking system and inflation and the treasury markets and the transition To a completely new interest rate benchmark, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're going to have interest, that's debt, right? So a completely new transition. Um, Let let me tell you, I'm very relieved that I have food set up in my bug out house.
1: Mm. Wow, that is, yeah, (laughs) things are going to get that bad. So
0: tell you quickly,
1: we are going through a global monetary reset. I guess would be kind of the punchline to what we've talked about so far. You've also used this term, the surveillance era. Mm-hmm. Is that related to this reset? Are we, mm-hmm. uh, is this uh, central banks are trying to get people into central bank digital currencies for purposes of surveilling and perhaps applying social credit score systems? Control. To them? Is that what's going on here?
0: A hundred percent.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the What Is Money show. I am thrilled to have you here joining me on my mission to help shine light on the question of money. Now, if this is your first time listening to the What Is Money show, I strongly recommend that you go back to episodes one through nine first, which lays a lot of the groundwork for many of the concepts that we explore on the show. These first nine episodes are my series with Michael Saylor, and thousands of people have told me that this is the best podcast series they've ever heard Again, that's WolfNYC, W-O-L-F-N-Y-C.com. Lynette Zhang, welcome to the What Is
0: Money Show. Oh, I'm very happy to be here, Robert. Thank you for having me.
1: I'm very happy to have you. Uh, I think we're going to jump into some very juicy topics uh, in this conversation. And just by way of a quick introduction, you are a very well-known financial analyst uh, you are the ch- currently the Chief Market Analyst at ITM Trading and a prominent figure in the gold and precious metals community. You have an extensive experience in finance. Uh, you've worked in many different positions over a five-decade career, and you've developed a deep understanding of financial markets, currencies, and global economics, which is why I'm so excited to have you here today to talk about all of those things. Well. Um, oh. Where? Okay to begin and i think you mentioned this offline actually that we have a situation going on in zimbabwe where and I, I don't know a lot about this i've only glanced at your twitter page um it looks like zimbabwe is seeking to adopt a gold backed currency standard i'm not sure if that's a digital currency or a regular currency digital, a, a digital currency and the imf the International Monetary Fund is warning Zimbabwe not to do that. So what is that all about? What's going on on in Zimbabwe or between Zimbabwe and the IMF?
0: Well, you know, let's let's kind of back up for a second to move forward because one thing that I've studied extensively since 1987 are currency life cycles. And so the same thing happens over and over and over again 100% of the time. Which is when all confidence in the currency is lost, then they have to back the currency with gold in order to get the public to use it again, right. in order to get the world to accept it again. Right. So bottom line, that's really what's happening at this point in Zimbabwe. But, you know, their currency has been in hyperinflationary mode for since, what, 2006 officially and, and prior to that. Mm -hmm. They've done a number of currency resets, uh, overnight resets, where they lop off zeros. And, you know, the reason why I think that this is critical for everybody to understand is because it's a precursor of what we're all going to most likely experience using history as a guide. Mm -hmm. And so does the IMF? No, they want you to stay with what they call conventional monetary stances managing forex using derivatives which are just big bets leveraged bets Mm -hmm. uh, because what they're what zimbabwe is doing is kind of leading the world in the direction that we're all going to have to go Mm. what's public confidence is absolutely gone Mm. And, and and it was what 2008 interbank lending so confident? I mean, this is a con game, so you got to have confidence, right? And so 2008 it was interbank lending, so bank to bank lending, and that confidence was gone. 2015 it was the Swiss surprise, so it was central bank, central bank confidence is gone, and then almost a year ago, it's almost a year ago, yeah, August uh, was when they fed chair powell and then the rest of the global um central bankers surprised the markets so mar- that's why you're seeing all of this dysfunction in the markets because they don't believe the fed anymore they don't mm-hmm. believe the central bankers anymore and so they are indeed fighting the fed mm-hmm. so um yeah i think it's quite significant that zimbabwe now i'm not not so sure about the central bank digital currency being backed by gold but presumably, at some point, it's supposed to be convertible into gold. And, you know, so that's that's basically what's happening over there. A couple of months ago, or uh, no, maybe about six or seven months ago, a while ago, right. they issued a one-ounce gold coin to help people hold their wealth. Well, who can afford a one-ounce gold coin in Zimbabwe but the wealthy? The right. general public cannot, right? So this is just this is just the next stepping stone, hmm. but it really is about getting people to start to adopt the central bank digital currency, which I don't necessarily think is a great idea. But if they actually made a convertible like these two US bills used to be, this is a gold, this is a gold certificate. There you go. We've both got one
1: here, one here too.
0: Yep. And this is a silver certificate. So you can walk into the bank with this and walk out with this, right? You know, if they make it convertible, then maybe it's not a bad thing. And I would have more confidence in it, but we'll, we'll see. That and, so,
1: and so this is the genesis of all currencies, right? That they were at one point warehouse receipts or redemption certificates for monetary metals, right? Whether silver or gold or anything else. So in many ways, Zimbabwe is just going back to the the old-fashioned way, right? What currencies really originated as. And it's interesting that the IMF, right? The International Monetary Fund, such a large and prestigious-sounding organization, would actually be resistant to a country going to a tried-and-true monetary standard. Um, and, you know, speaking a, a little bit more conspiratorial, it's as if they want to keep People inside of the pyramid scheme that is fiat currencies, right? They don't want if a country exits successfully to a gold standard and proves that it's better, then that could lead to um, other countries following suit.
0: And and ultimately they all will because you have to regain the confidence of the public. Mm -hmm. And so no, they don't want you outside of the of their system because then they have more control. It's so easy to to confiscate your wealth your work because what do we do we work for money right and then we try to save it and accumulate it for later any wealth any money that we don't need today for down the road but the whole system the whole current fiat system is based upon constantly compounding inflation Mm-hmm right and there and as long as there's some purchasing power in there to take well you know they can do that invisibly so government that's a, that's the inflation tax they can tax you without going to legislation yeah. but for corporations that's what this wealth and income inequality is all about because the current system enabled that but we're at the end of the life cycle there's officially and this is true globally Virtually no purchasing power left. We're all experiencing more rapid inflation, which is, you know, part of the deal. But have they lost control of that? Because even the central bankers have admitted, Hal, uh, Christine Lagarde, that they don't understand inflation, which is why they used it in the system, because they knew people don't understand it. They, they get married to the numbers yeah, rather than the utility.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah, the the change, the nominal price changes seem to blind people to the loss in purchasing power, right? If your stock portfolio or home nominal price is increasing, people think they're richer, but what you're not seeing is the diminished purchasing power per unit. Exactly, Um, and and
0: even wages, Yeah. right? I mean, the average wage back in 1971 was something like 9,500 bucks and a family of four could live with one wage earner. Mm -hmm. Today, it's like $57,000. It takes two wage earners. You're still paycheck to paycheck. Your paycheck, there are a lot of people that are earning up to $250,000 a year that are paycheck to paycheck. Right. Right? So yeah, that nominal confusion really, and they knew that. That's why they created the system based on that nominal confusion. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I call it... a cognitive optical illusion, like it just tricks people. Um Exactly. And it's amazing how effective it is. I have a question about gold-backed digital currency. I guess you could say gold-backed currency in general, but we'll stick with digital since that's what Zimbabwe is doing. Doesn't this still, even if they do successfully move to gold-backed digital currency, this still necessitates trust in the monetary authority or the government or the central bank, right, to maintain the peg. If They say the yes. gold is redeemable for, you know, whatever, one Zimbabwean dollar for one ounce of gold. At any time, they can suspend that redeemability. So aren't we still kind of in a trap, even if, even if they do successfully move to a gold standard, that they can just revoke it at any time?
0: 100%. That's why you hear me say all the time, if you don't hold it, you don't own it. Regardless of what your perception is, because look, and I know you have these too, you know, all these currencies that were once used for barterability that the government said, nope, no longer. You can't mm-hmm. use it any longer. Yeah. So uh yes, to your point, hundred percent, hundred percent.
1: Yeah, as we say in Bitcoin, not your keys, not your coin. And I guess in gold, it's you know, not your gold not your gold. If you're not holding the physical specie, then you don't have it. Um, speaking of gold, you've been tweeting a lot lately, hashtag got gold, question mark. Um, I'm curious on your views of gold versus Bitcoin. Like, what makes gold better than Bitcoin? Um, you know, they're very comparable in a lot of ways in terms of what that you can own something with no counterparty risk. You know, there's, Bitcoin has a fixed supply, gold has a scarce supply. So like, what are your, how do you weigh gold versus Bitcoin and why are you so focused on gold rather than Bitcoin?
0: Number one, it's 6,000 years of history. Mm -hmm. And when something has happened the same way a hundred percent of the time, over 4,800 times or more than that actually, then I know that there is historic precedence for its value and the second big piece and this is really where i have a challenge with bitcoin or any or cbdc's or or anything like that is its utility because in gold and in silver this is true for both both of these physical metals they are used across the entire spectrum and in every single sector of the global economy so there is, there, it has the broadest utility, right? And if something is used that extensively, what that's really telling you is that it has the broadest base of buyer. Mm-hmm. That's why gold has never, ever, for 6,000 years, it's never gone to zero because there are always buyers. Uh. And I look at intangible assets of any kind, they only have utility in one place. I think it's fabulous that you can hold a lot of wealth. And this is something, in my mind, what they share is that you can hold a lot of wealth in a small package, and it's movable wealth, which right. is critically important. I mean, real estate is wealth, but you can't put it on your back and walk away with it. That's right. You can certainly do that with with gold i mean you just get a more and more and more rare coin or piece of jewelry or what have you and it's easy to move a lot of wealth and you can put a bitcoin on a thumb drive and put it in your pocket and so that to me is if i was if i that's the plus in bitcoin is that Mm -hmm. you can move a lot of wealth however what I have a challenge seeing is its utility, mm. other than that. I mean, it's it's not a good, good tool of barter because the price is so volatile, uh, and it hasn't been proven. It came out in 2009, mm. and that was in January 2009, and then quantitative easing came out in March of 2009. Mm. And can you imagine how much more would have gone into physical gold if Bitcoin wasn't around,
1: yeah, well, definitely more purchasing power would have fl- flowed into gold because there would have been no better alternative. Um, and I actually agree with you on gold's established history. That I think it obviously it's a you know five thousand plus year old monetary metal. Not, not likely that it's going anywhere quickly. However, I do think there are, you know, swords have been around for a really long time, too. And then when we invented gunpowder, all of a sudden, swords were much less useful. So I do think, I'm a believer in technological innovation, too, radically changing things. And um, and the, the point on Bitcoin not having industrial demand, I actually view that as a positive. Um because it's, you know, if, if gold's market cap is what, 12 or 14 trillion, perhaps roughly 80% of that is demand for gold as a store of value or, or a monetary asset, let's say. And the other 20% of gold's market cap is demand for it as an industrial metal and dental dentistry or electronics or all these other things that that gold is used in. Yeah. So I, I look at, when I look at Bitcoin I see an asset that 100% of its market capitalization is mo- monetary premium. So it's like the invention of a pure money in a way. And I don't although they're obviously competitive because money monetary technologies are always competitive. I don't I think Bitcoin and gold exist alongside for quite some time. Cuz again I don't think gold's going anywhere for a really long time. But um when I look at the actual fundamental properties of money itself, I think Bitcoin is superior. So that's why I, I advocate for Bitcoin over gold. Not that I'm against physical gold. I just prefer Bitcoin. So uh, here's
0: a question. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about the monetary properties and when, you know, I mean, the reason why money was invented was so that society could specialize. You could have a farmer, mm. you could have, you know, you could have a banker, you could have a baker, etc. Division right? of labor. Division of labor, exactly. And one person can't do it also makes a whole lot of sense. So when they were establishing what money is, and especially to sell it to the public, it had four key functions. And that's part of what I'm looking at. So it's a tool of measure. It's a tool of barter. It's a short-term tool of value to make sure that you are fairly paid for your labor and it's a long-term store of value, so that no matter when you use it, you are still being paid fairly for your labor, mm-hmm. and you are its valuation at least initially was labor for labor, mm-hmm. so it was a more fair system because of its you because of the evolution of money. In terms, you brought up the IFP, so that's made up of all the tr- all the treasury secretaries and all the central bank chiefs, almost all of them in the world, right? Uh, and you're looking at the advent of fiat money. They've already removed just by creating inflation, which is baked into the fiat money system, so that it's by design it loses value over time. Mm-hmm. It is not a long term store of value. And what that did was it forced people to take more risk
1: uh-huh.
0: to keep pace with the inflation. That's right. right. What they're talking about when we're going into the CBDCs is removing that short term store of value. Because once, once we do that, then they have their finger on the button of monetary policy, which they can modify. And they've talked about this. 24 7 and there are no limitations on how low they can push interest rates which mm-hmm. erodes your principle i mean it is that simple right. if you're paying that money so now you're getting your paycheck going directly into the bank account that is immediately charging you negative rates mm-hmm. so the only function of money coming going forward if they have their way is as a short-term tool of measure, okay, we're going to pay you this, Mm -hmm. and a tool of barter. Mm -hmm. So gold solves those other two issues. I'm not sure, and there is not enough history that Bitcoin can solve for those other two issues, a short-term store of value and a long-term store of value.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. biggest drawback of bitcoin is lack of established history which is where gold is strongest now i'd like to tell you about our sponsor the gold investment letter the gold investment letter helps sophisticated investors navigate capital markets and maximize their profits in trading gold silver and mining stocks the gold investment letter seeks out the most undervalued companies and identifies special situations in the mining sector And then provides in-depth analysis on both their financial positions and future prospects the gold investment letter explores many complex domains such as investor psychology portfolio management and macroeconomic trends all with the goal of making you a better investor the gold investment letter offers a free version and a paid premium version and i strongly recommend you at least sign up for the free version because after having read a few of these issues i can promise you it is a treasure trove of good information you can sign up for the free newsletter today at goldinvestmentletter.com. Now, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, iCoin Technology. iCoin has just released a sleek new hardware wallet. It looks like a mini iPhone, a little touch screen and camera on it. Uh, the device has no Wi Fi, no cellular connection, no GPS. It's a strictly physically cold hardware wallet. Uh, like I said, it's got a high res three inch touch screen. It's got a camera for air gapping the wallet, Uh, it's got optional Bluetooth compatibility, and it's really a a brand new UI UX experience for a hardware wallet, making it very accessible, easy to use, not intimidating. And as we always talk about on this show, the only way you can truly own your Bitcoin is by having it in self-custody. So you need a device like iCoin Wallet to truly own your Bitcoin. Go to iCoinTechnology.com today and use promo code BITCOIN23 for 30% off of this new sleek hardware wallet. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a Bitcoin-enabled alternative to legacy health insurance. Now let's face it, legacy health insurance is an absolute scam. Nobody can explain this better than the legendary comedian Chris Rock.
0: Insurance! You got to have some insurance. You got to. That's like insurance. They shouldn't even call it insurance. They should just call it in case shit. And I give a company some money in case shit happens. Now, if shit don't happen, shouldn't I get my money back?
1: <laughs> so with Health, instead of just paying premiums that you'll never see again, you can hold part of this pool of savings in dollars and in Bitcoin through CrowdHealth. And when you have a health event, you can draw against this pool of communal savings. So go to joinCrowdhealth.com/breedlove to learn more or sign up. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Wasabi Wallet. With Wasabi Wallet, you can receive, send and store Bitcoin privately. In Wasabi Wallet, your transaction history and wallet balance are completely hidden. Wasabi Wallet is easy to use. All of its privacy features are built in by default, and it works with any amount of Bitcoin. Wasabi users can make CoinJoin transactions together with BTC Pay Server users or Trezor Suite users. For BTC Pay Server users, they can make payments directly inside of a CoinJoin. And for Trezor Suite users, you can make CoinJoins directly on a hardware wallet. These features result in the fee savings and security improvements for both sets of users. So go to wasabiwallet.io today to download the state-of-the-art Bitcoin privacy wallet. What would cause you to change your mind? I guess what, would, what data would need to come in for you to consider Bitcoin proven or established or, or what have you? How, do you? how do you wrestle with that, uh, let's say the market proving of Bitcoin? Uh,
0: more utility. that that, that's really the biggest hiccup that i have with it i can see the direction that we're going in and i and i know that the bank for international settlements has carved out a very small place for private digital currencies like bitcoin in their money flower there's a much bigger area for commodity money gold and silver also in that money area and um you know and the other thing when you look at that flower There's just this little piece that is not underneath central bank control. So for me, it's utility, because what I'm seeing as I'm watching it, and I've been watching Bitcoin since it was seven bucks, Mm -hmm. a coin, right? So I've been watching it for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I see is I see Wall Street adopting it, Mm -hmm. way more than Main Street adopting it. And I see it being turned into a trading vehicle because everything has been turned into a trading vehicle. Mm. So I can't tell you what the true value is of Bitcoin, but I can of gold and not what Wall Street wants everybody to believe, but it's true fundamental value based upon history mm. and the level of money that the that the governments and the central banks are creating. Which, at this point, is created purely from debt. So, you know, and the new currency, I mean, it's been a bit of a struggle to find out what's going to justify it. Um, I've heard debt, which means i got to wipe out all the debt right now. And the other thing that I've heard is based on transactions. So money will be created into the system based on transactions. So... The good of Bitcoin, you know, presuming that, and I'm and I'm gonna just bow to you because I know that you look at it at a different level than I do, um, is that it is finite,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? But um, what could what could persuade me is to see more utility. That's what could persuade me. did you? Oh. Maybe just
1: expand upon that a bit because I'm not sure exactly what you mean by utility. If if we're talking about industrial okay. industrial use of Bitcoin, I'm not sure that okay. that's even possible. So I'm, I'm just trying to understand Correct. what you mean by that.
0: Correct. What are uh, the different ways and uses of it? Because right now it's movable wealth mm-hmm. and it's trading wealth, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it goes up to 60,000, back down to 18,000, up to 28,000, right? this is not right but but for gold they may yeah there's a lot of industrial uses it's in space it's in electronics it's in dental it's in money it's in jewelry it's in Mm -hmm. food it's in every single area so i don't know that bitcoin has the ability to do that Mm -hmm. because it's not real right it's intangible and that that's really the challenge And, and in my personal strategy having studied currency life cycles, and I mean, there's plenty out there to study, you see these repeatable patterns. Mm. And everybody always says, this time is different, but at the end of the day, it really never is.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's a great book by that title, right? This time is different. Um, Okay, if just hypothetically, if Bitcoin were to achieve par market cap as gold and let's say they're equal they're both 10 or 12 trillion dollars and the volatility was roughly equal would that be something that would change your mind at that point
0: the market cap would not Mm. because i know how severely undervalued gold is because a rising gold price is an indication of the failing currency Mm -hmm. and once you really grasp the concept that this currency is losing all value, just like over 4,800 currencies have, right? right? Then you start to make different choices, right? So, um, you know, f- for me, I-, I just feel a lot more comfortable with something that's tried and true. It doesn't mean that I never will buy Bitcoin, where I never will, but the market cap has nothing to do with it because it's all manufactured. It's not real. I've been wa- I, I love being my age. Honestly, I'm I'm gonna be 69 this year. And I love being my age because of what I have personally experienced. Mm. Right? I was there in nineteen seventy-one when we transitioned from a quasi-gold back currency to a pure debt-based currency. I was, you know, I was like 17, 16, 17 years old. So I was old enough to get that feeling and see what was happening around me. Did I really understand it? No, I did not really understand it. However, I know what it smells like, looks like, tastes like, Mm -hmm. right? So there are advantages. I was there as a stockbroker on Black Monday in 87.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So... I right, so I know what that feels like, smells like, looks like, tastes like, and th- there's a lot of advantage to age.
1: Yeah, so I uh, completely agree with that. Um, I okay, so on gold, it looks like there's a lot of nation states right now. As what you said this well earlier, a rising gold price is indicative of a collapsing currency. Something like that. Yep. Seems like there's a lot of nation states in the world adopting a strategy consistent with that. They're they're buying gold. They're producing gold. You know, they're net importers, net producers, et cetera, et cetera. And it seems like the more rapidly they're debasing currencies, the more intensely they are producing or, or importing gold. China comes to mind, Russia comes to mind, et cetera. what what's going on with the nation state gold buying patterns? Is this are countries now scrambling to accumulate gold as a hedge against currency failure? And if so, like how what should we expect to see as a result of this as this game plays out?
0: Well, you know, in reality, what you just said is exactly right. The reason why you see, and we see a division, right, between the West and the East. Mm -hmm. So to your point, China, Russia, India, you know, those countries are, I mean, central banks globally are accumulating more gold than they ever have before, even more than 1967 when we were in the middle of this transition. Mm -hmm. But whoever holds the gold retains the power retains the choice and so what we're actually experiencing is a shift in financial power on a global basis from the west from the u.s Mm. to the east to china and the other piece that's really critical to understand is the huge advantage that the u.s has had since the 40s as the world reserve currency Mm -hmm. But no currency retains that forever, and we are rapidly, very rapidly losing that status. But that didn't just start. That started in 2000. Mm -hmm. The end of 2000 was the first time, historically, that our central bank had to start buying back our government debt. But they didn't broadcast it. It wasn't because it's not a good thing. Right, right. Right? It's not a good thing. It only became a good thing in 2009 with yeah. quantitative easing and all that stuff. So uh, what I see is I see, and, and I, I will also say, let's go back to Zimbabwe for just a second, mm-hmm. because one of the ways that they are accumulating gold is through confiscation of the production from the gold mines. Mm-hmm. So that's one way that that government is accumulating gold. And, and that's why too. Even in gold, there's different kinds of gold. And I personally never buy bullion because historically in the US, we have clear precedents for gold confiscation. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing that unfold. And as we have been, this is not something, this is not the first time that a government has required, and they call it different names, but it's still confiscation, Mm -hmm. miners or the public to turn in parts of their gold. India right. did that back in 2016 when they demonetized, what, 85% of their currency. Right. So what I see for us here in the U.S. and actually everywhere is I think we'll go into a hyperinflationary depression. So, mm. you know, because they've got to burn off the debt. If they're, if they're going to issue new currency based on debt, then they have to get rid of the debt. And for Zimbabwe, it's really interesting to watch this unfold. Because once you have gold backing a currency, then you know it, it fixes the debt where it is. And it puts restrictions on how much more you can grow. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to the talking heads on Bloomberg, CNBC, wherever, and they're talking about growth while they're talking about the ability to take on more debt. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't care if you're a government, a corporation, or an individual; most are maxed out in their ability to take on more debt. Right. So uh, I I I see a transition away from the U.S. dollar easily, and it's speeding up. It's speeding up.
1: Right. So dramatically, we're we're living through a global currency failure because i mean it seems like all of these things they're all doing the same thing right they're all being debased rapidly uh U- u.s dollar still enjoys the exorbitant privilege of being global reserve currency so we get to export a lot of our inflation which is not the case for many other currencies so presumably the u.s dollar under the current paradigm at least would outlast a lot of these other fiat currencies but that might change too right like that you can it's already changing like the brics countries
0: Exactly. And, you know, where where we used to hold 100% of all those other countries, because as the world reserve currency, you know, what that means is if, if you are a government or corporation, and certainly individuals know this if you travel, uh, going outside of your borders, you had to use U.S. dollars to buy oil, lumber, steel, mm-hmm. medicine, whatever. And um, so... Arguably, we were at 100% global usage, which is a huge advantage to export dollars, export our inflation, et cetera. Now, most currently, the reading is 47%. Wow. And about a year ago, don't hold me to this because I'll have the data right in front of me. So it might be two years ago. But recently, we were still at above 60%. Mm. And today we're at 47%. So where
1: where is the end of the line for like, I know timing very hard, very hard to make time accurate predictions of the future. So Mm -hmm. caveat emptor there, but where do you think we are at in terms of this currency failure? I think you said we're going to a (laughs) hyperinflationary depression in the US. Do you have a timeline that you can, you can lay over that?
0: Well, you know, like you said, timing is, you know, the hardest thing for any technician. Yeah. I can tell you what is most likely to happen based upon lots and lots of history and data. Right. right. But we're, we're at the end game right now. And I think what we are witnessing is a complete breakdown of the system because the system actually died in 2008 and it was simply put on life support, Mm -hmm. you know, and that life support is just the money, right? That's all that is, is that that was the life support because that's all that they have is boosting up their balance sheet with lots and lots of garbage, buying back lots and lots of treasuries. But we already saw a lack of liquidity in the treasury market in 2015. And so that lack of liquidity, the ability to buy and sell easily without big dislocations, look at what's happening right now in the treasury market and understand that the treasury market is the foundation of the global financial system, right. And you now have, I mean, if you watch the patterns, you could see when when the Fed handed over, the management of the treasury market in 2013 to the traders. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, they don't report that, the treasury VIX like they did anymore because they don't really want you to see what's happening. But you now have traders making bets on the default of the treasury market Mm. as early as, you know, June 1st. Right. Right? And, And the government so divided um, and I, I can't really tell you whether this is intentional or not intentional, because when right. you know you're at the end and you know you're going to declare bankruptcy, mm-hmm. if somebody gives you a credit card, what are people most likely to do? They're right. going to go max it out, right? Because right. you know it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I mean, I think we are precariously close and what we're experiencing between the the issues that are happening around the banking system and inflation and the treasury markets and the transition to a completely new interest rate benchmark, which is, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to have interest, that's debt, right? So yeah. a completely new transition. Um, let, let me tell you, I'm very relieved that I have food set up in my bug out house. Mm.
1: Wow. That is yeah, things are going to get that bad. So
0: tell you, and, if and we, quickly.
1: If we go under this hyperinflationary depression, sounds very terrible. I um know, It is. Do you expect to see the private ownership of gold outlawed again, a la Executive Order 6102?
0: Uh, I think that is highly probable. Uh, it's certainly a possibility. And where the argument is, well, it doesn't back the currency anymore, and, you know, it's just an old relic. Well, it's an old relic that's used across the entire global industry, yeah, e- everywhere, yeah, yeah. no matter what sector it it's in. Um. To be perfectly honest with you in this, what I am seriously seeing is that whoever holds the gold, and this is why the central bankers are accumulating it so much, Mm -hmm. we're the ones that are going to have the choice and be at the forefront of this new world order, which everybody is now talking about. Mm -hmm. But I've been talking about a reset Mm -hmm. socially, financially, and economically since 2009. And it was China that brought the SDR up as the alternative. Right. The SDR is the currency of the IMF.
1: Yeah, yeah, the special drawing rights. Um okay, so that that was actually my next question. You're you're reading my mind here. We are going through a global monetary reset, I guess would be kind of the punchline to what we've talked about so far. You've also used this term, the surveillance era. Mm-hmm. Is that related to this reset? Are we uh, is this a central banks are trying to get people into central bank digital currencies for purposes of surveilling and perhaps applying social credit score systems control to them is that what's going on here
0: a hundred percent a hundred percent and that makes having something completely out of the system Mm -hmm. that much more critical and i i'm sorry but i'm not convinced that Bitcoin is out of the system when I see Wall Street adopting it. Uh So, you know, so much. So yes, full surveillance. You know, if if they don't, look what happened in Canada, for goodness sakes, right? The trucker strike, which was perfectly legal Mm. and it was not violent, but the government didn't like it and boom, they shut down all your bank accounts, all your insurance accounts, all your digital accounts they shut down everything and not just for the truckers but for anybody that supported the truckers oh here let me give you five bucks okay boom you're a cat i mean that is i mean that just raised alarm bells like crazy and i've been talking about it for a while because we've been watching this evolve so yes they can, they can look at how much you have in there. They can dictate how you spend it, where you spend it, how much a, of a life it has, which is typical in these transitions. They'll go, okay, well, if you don't use this by June 31st, then it has no more value, right? right. So, and they can pull taxes from you. They can do lifetime taxes. All right, you had a bad year, but hey, you have a good year. Okay, we're just gonna pull that out. And look at Ford, right? Now, the IMF did a report, um, and I think it was 2015, but don't don't hold me to it. And it's one of my favorite reports that, I, that they've ever done, which is called Breaking Below the Lower Zero Bound, so how mm-hmm. they can take the whole world negative, right? Negative rates, they want us to think that negative rates are a choice, mm-hmm. but why in the world would you bust your butt to earn this money and loan it to somebody other than your children, mm-hmm. knowing you're not going to get back what you're loaning. Right, right. That that is completely illogical. Yeah, completely illogical. But they can force it, yeah. right? So they can force you to spend. They can dictate where you're going to spend it. And Ford recently came out and got the patent, and they and the IMF have talked about this. Got a patent. On, on the self-driving cars so if you do not all these smart houses the smart cars and all of this smart stuff mm-hmm. well that has the the uh, smart contracts on there and if you miss a payment then they can lock you out of the car and drive the car away they can lock you out of your house and what are you gonna do well wow. so yeah you have to do things that can ensure that you are as independent and self-sufficient as possible, because if you are not, you have to do what they say.
1: Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's a little bit scary, the direction we're going. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor, Bitcoin Conference 2023. This three-day event will be held May 18th through 20th in Miami Beach. Uh, this is going to be the biggest event of the year, as it always is. And the past two years in Miami have simply been amazing. Uh, day one's industry day. Days two and three are going to be open to general admission. And I'd say this is a great place to go and network with Bitcoiners or even look for a job. Uh, just a really all-around great experience. There's a fantastic speaker lineup, including Michael Saylor, Zoltan Pozar, Lynn Alden, Alex Gladstein, many others. And last year we did a 10 million Sats giveaway for this event, and we're going to do it again this year. So to get discounted tickets and enter for a chance to win 10 million Sats, go to b.tc/conference and use code Breedlove. Now I'd like to tell you about our sponsor Casa. Casa makes it simple to buy and secure your Bitcoin without wondering whether you're doing it right. Specifically, Casa provides a multi-key custody solution, which is by far the most secure way to custody your Bitcoin. Now, when I talk about Bitcoin being theft-proof money or inviolable private property, a multi-key custody model is exactly what I am talking about. Using multiple keys lets you maintain full control of your Bitcoin while also giving you redundancy in case you lose one of the keys. It's also the best way to secure your Bitcoin for inheritance planning purposes. So go to keys.casa that's C-A-S-A today to sign up and use discount code BreedLove. Okay. The commercial banking sector in the US seems like it's undergoing a controlled demolition of sorts. Um you know, so that's what they're doing. Inter- interest rates are being hiked. So that's drawing depositors out of local banks into treasuries. They're also- Money the, the, markets too. Yeah, money markets. The guarantee on large banks seems to be rather explicit from the central bank, right? If you're with JPM or BOA or Wells Fargo, one of these big banks, your deposits are insured and guaranteed explicitly by the, um, let's say the US government, but the Fed really, but um, Yet with other smaller banking branches, those guarantees have not been made as explicit. So there's like additional risk, say not banking with the big people. Is this part of that transition into CBDCs? Or are they trying to corral people out of the regional, say commercial banking sector into large banks?
0: Well, you know, the, the consolidation and the loss of mom and pop, which is really the backbone of this country. So I would say mom and pop stores, I would also say the regional banks, right? That transition and that consolidation in both of those sectors has really started back in like 2000, and um, so yes, because part of what they've been reimagining is the role of these commercial banks, and they are going to and and understand when did FDIC? When was that born? Oh yeah, 1933 when all confidence in the banking system was lost right and what did they do they came out with glass steagall and the fdic and glass steagall separated deposit taking banks from risk taking banks have right. you heard one person talk about going back to eliminating deposit taking banks and risk taking banks separating them <laughs> i haven't heard one entity Talk about that, Mm -hmm. right? So they eliminated Glass-Steagall in the 90s. Mm -hmm. They brought out the speculative derivatives also in the 90s. We had long-term capital management, which was the first derivative implosion that almost took down the global system. But the banks and the central banks went in and shored that up so people don't even realize it.
1: taxpayer funded bailout?
0: Always... always and with the fdic and with what's happening now and they're coming out saying, oh but the taxpayers aren't going to pay for any of this no where this is not a bailout Mm -hmm. that is garbage because even in the banks that they chose to make whole every single one that's been that's gone under has been made all the depositors have been made whole Mm -hmm. right and and we're talking about the the smaller regional banks, and the most yeah. current one, First Republic, taken over by the largest bank, the bank that gets 10% of every deposit that's made to all, all banks, 10% of it goes to JP Morgan, the largest bank they made an exception so they could get even larger. So yes, to your point, what we've been experiencing is a consolidation you know on a much certainly in banking but on a much bigger scale of that and i'm also old enough to remember when if you were unhappy with a product or a service you could go to the decision maker and say i'm unhappy and they wanted to keep you as a customer so they did what they needed to do to make you happy again in most cases sometimes Mm -hmm. you can't but in most cases right Mm -hmm. today i mean What service is there? What you do when you, if you're unhappy with something and you make a phone call, you get this person whose job is to block you and keep you right there Mm -hmm. and to keep you away from the decision makers. And I mean, the garbage, I don't need to get into it. People know what I'm talking about, though. Mm -hmm. You buy something, even at a premium dollar, and it's garbage. It breaks down like almost immediately after you get it. And you go to complain about it and and it never really gets made right. Yeah. So, yeah, a full surveillance economy, the direction that we're going in is definitely a com- uh, a consolidation of power into fewer and fewer and fewer hands. And also though, it is a consolidation of the risk into fewer and fewer and fewer hands. Mm. And what we can't see because it is so opaque is truthfully what's happening in those derivative markets, all we see is the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. But there has to be, since interest rate derivatives are about 80% of all of the derivative bets that have been written, the speculative derivative bets, and you see what's happening with the problem with, it's not just the regional banks, it's all the banks, including the central bank, that has massive losses on their books from raising rates, interest rates, principal value, right? So as they've been raising their rates, the principal, the market principal value of those bonds go down. Mm -hmm. And the longer the term, the greater that fluctuation. So they were hiding the breakdown of the debt markets when they were lowering the rates because it Mm -hmm. made the bonds market value more, right? Right. But now the, the opposite is happening. So yeah, right now we are seeing a complete breakdown of the financial system, but we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. Right. Well,
1: um... I know, I'm sorry. No, no, it's, it's heavy stuff. But
0: it is what it is, right? No,
1: it, it is what it is, and we've got to talk about it. So, okay, another area. Now this is a bit more technical, but this transition from LIBOR... To SOFR, or I guess is how you pronounce this acronym, S O F R. Yeah. So I don't know a lot about this. My rough knowledge is that London essentially controls the LIBOR rate. It's been, that's been the, what is it, the interbank settlement rate, something like that, overnight yeah. rate. That's been pretty much the benchmark for as long as I can remember. Since the 80s. Since the 80s. And my understanding is the Fed actually controls SOFR. So is this is this a symptom of that, of this shift from a unipolar US dollar centric world into this multipolar, multi-currency world? Uh, if not, what is what is this or so for the, the technical change and what are the implications for us? And maybe you can ex- try to explain this to us very simply, because I know this is where things get very bogged down in jargon. So maybe try to explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old, if you could, please. <laughs>
0: I will I will do my best but I will say this before I start isn't that interesting that this is the largest experiment the largest financial experiment in history and they hardly talk about it
1: mhm okay right.
0: so why why aren't they talking about it all right so libor which was created in the 80s so any debt instruments anywhere in the world because there's u.s dollar libor it's not just london libor and u.s dollar libor is much larger okay uh so that is a stated rate so in other words you had just a handful of banks that would get together every morning and say gee if i were going to lend you money overnight this is what i would charge you And if I was gonna borrow money from you overnight, this is what I would be willing to pay, right? So pretty nice. Now, every single debt contract, so mortgages, credit cards, car loans, student loans, every single debt contract out there was based on that one stated rate. Mm -hmm. But then somehow in 2008, as the system was dying, it was discovered that it was a stated rate and that traders were taking advantage of that. Mm. And I I don't know if you remember this, but I remember uh, Goldman Sachs, they made a a trillion dollars and their clients lost a trillion dollars. They were called Muppets because they would take the opposite side of the trade. And because it was a stated rate, they Mm. they just played with it, right? Mm. So that they made lots and lots of money, but that leaked out. So once it leaked out and the public became, at least a few in the public, became aware of it, then they're, okay, now we got to change this. And the Bank of England was also complicit in that manipulation, Mm -hmm. admittedly, right? So now we got to do a different benchmark and this benchmark needs to be, quote unquote, market rate. Mm -hmm. Except when you read the fine print. So this is based upon actual bond trading except when you read the fine print that it doesn't include this bond or this bond or this bond or this bond. So it's garbage. Mm -hmm. But every single contract that has the LIBOR embedded in it, so all the mortgages, all the credit cards, all all card loans, student loans, the derivatives, etc., corporate debt, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff, has to transition and remove the LIBOR benchmark from there because on June 30th, that benchmark will no longer be uh, published. Hmm. Now they have to create a synthetic one because it isn't working so easily. And here's the problem. We had a handful of different uh, central banks globally, like uh, the Bank of England, certainly the US, uh, the Swiss Central Bank, So there are about five different central banks that created their own benchmarks. In the US, it's the SOFR, okay? Uh And they've created um, language, fallback language. They've been transitioning contracts into the new benchmark, but there are still a lot of contracts that uh, actually I, I read it's like for every one contract, Recently, CLOs so collateralized loan obligations so very risky debt, right? For every one contract that has transitioned into the new benchmark, there are five that still have to transition. And here we are, you know, with just a little at this at this taping, a little bit more than six weeks away, mm-hmm. right? Or yeah, so um, it's very risky. But here's the problem: the so interest rate is different than the libor interest rate Mm. so when they transition they've created these accounting gimmicks to try and get it to match Mm -hmm. but they have not been able to do so and going back to this this is interest rates this our principle when those interest rates change it changes the value of the contract Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Now they've created safe harbor, which means that if you open up your credit card statement and suddenly you were owing $1,000 and now you owe $2,000 or it's not that big of a difference, Mm -hmm. but you you would notice a difference in what you owe, Mm -hmm. maybe it will be hidden from you because you think it's just the, the interest rate charge, right? Which is another reason why it's kind of important to raise these interest rates right so that you the public don't notice but they have eliminated your ability to come together in a class action suit
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right however there could very well be and until it happens i can't tell you i mean i'm telling you what i think but hey i could be wrong this has never ever ever been done before i do know that the principal value will change and it does change for all of those contracts that the banks are holding, right? So, so I think a lot of what's happening right now is a smoke screen for this transition. And I've been saying since the first of the year that there was going to be some crisis that happened before June. And you know, somebody asked me about that the other day. So, well, don't you think the banking breakdown is kind of a crisis, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Okay. Right? And I went back and I looked at two thousand and eight. And I said, okay, so how did that banking crisis start as far as the smaller banks that started to implode? And really pretty similar to what we're seeing right now, like three or five, you know, every month it kind of evolved until obviously in September of 2008, then it became visible to the public.
1: Yeah, so we could be in the early stages of another Banking crisis. I'm a
0: hundred percent certain. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent certain we
1: are. Um, Okay, we're we're getting close to time here. I want to ask you just a couple more things. Fed now scheduled to go live in July 2023. Mm -hmm. What is this? How is it related to the rollout of a U.S. CBDC or a Federal Reserve CBDC? And do you have a timeline on that? Like, when should we expect to see CBDCs in the West?
0: Well, you know, the FedNow, they did this huge announcement. I believe it was 2019, where every single person, whether you realize it or not, you have a FedNow account. Even if you live super, super remote, you know, and all you have there is a post office, yeah, got a FedNow account. Hmm. Uh, What they talked about and they looked at during the recent crisis that we were going through with the disease that we'll not talk about Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) was how much easier it would be if everybody just had an account and they could just pump new money into that account right so now it's all in place it was in place before 2020 But it's all in place, it's going live in July, and in this next big crisis, that's exactly what they're gonna do. They're gonna put a whole bunch of CBDCs into these accounts. Now, presumably they're still studying it, they're still studying it, but they've been testing it. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, and if you look on a global basis, it has not been as easily adopted as governments would want. So I actually have hope that it's rejected. But you got to have some other money to work with, mm. or how you going to reject it if all you're sitting on is this garbage, right? Okay. The fiat garbage. You're not going to have a choice. So during this, this is what I think is going to happen. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. But there will be a, a huge crisis, and then and people will be freaked out and panicked, right? And then they will inject a whole bunch of money into these Fed Now accounts. And say, hey, don't worry. You know, if you lost your job or what have you, here's a whole bunch of money. But what their hope is is then people will continue to fund it. And I, I don't know that hasn't gone so well for like Nigerians, South Americans. Mm-hmm. I mean, a number of places that have been forced into it, it. The adoption hasn't been, but but that's what I see. Right. And look at how convenient it is. But the easier it is to create money. The more they create, and the less value the money that's out there already has.
1: That little money gun has a remarkable amount of currency in it. Very impressive. It
0: does, but it does it does run out. Yes, yeah. and the central banks <laughs> don't. They have a remarkable amount empty. I and and that's what's going to happen in the central banks. Itself. yeah. Wow.
1: Okay. Well, so much to look forward to. <laughs> Hopefully, people are taking this conversation to something useful in their preparations for what is to come because this stuff is no joke right like when the money doesn't work well it disrupts basically everything in society so um Lynette thank you for so much thank you so much for spending time with me i appreciate your unique perspectives on all of this where can people find you on the internet
0: Well, I'm all over the place, uh, but we do have ITM Trading uh, YouTube channel, and I'm very prolific on that. So I go into these specific topics pretty deeply, but because I think it is so critically important for people to be as self-sufficient and independent as possible, we have also Beyond Gold and Silver, which is about food, water, energy, security, Barterability, wealth preservation, community, and shelter. Arguably, community is critically important because one person cannot do everything by itself. So you can find us on Beyond Gold and Silver, and we have um, a community that we just recently started. It's called the Thrivers Community, and that's where we're we're building it up. The community even more solid and people are creating groups and doing um you know like more we're, we're coming together so even if you live in north carolina i see people going who else lives in north carolina and creating groups there so it's to help us all be as independent and self-sufficient as possible and of course we like live so 8886964653 and what we do is we have a strategy that's based upon my studies of what happens to currencies in their currency life cycles cuz mm-hmm. cuz everything does i can tell you i'm at a different stage in my life cycle at 68 than my granddaughter at 8 mm-hmm. but that's who i'm doing all of this for is my right. granddaughter my great grandchildren Um, and and on and on because you know I'm only going to be here probably another 32 years I think I'm going to live to be 100
1: 32 years wow that's a very specific number
0: Um, because I think I'm going to live to be 100 that's
1: yeah yeah that's a ripe old age that's a good age to get to Um, well Annette thank you again for sharing your wisdom Um, yeah I hope this is useful to people and would love to have you back on sometime
0: absolutely this was fun thank Thank
1: you you so much